Welcome to Designing for Students, the podcast that explores the intersection of design and higher education. I'm Rich West, a freelance user experience consultant specializing in content. Over 20 years, I've worked in a number of higher education institutions, as well as government and the private sector. I'm Rich Prouse, I'm the director of Design at Content Design London and a higher education specialist. Designing for Students is a limited podcast series where you'll get to hear voices from around the world. From perspectives on leadership to hands-on skills, our goal is to inspire you to create experiences that will help your students succeed. So get ready to deep dive into the world of designing for students. We're brand new, so subscribe now so you don't miss out on any new episodes. Joining us today is Professor Radka Newton. Radka is from my old university, Lancaster University Management School. She's a co-founder of the Service Design and Education Network which focuses on the transformational value of design in higher education. Professor Newton is also the editor of an upcoming book called Service Design for Higher Education, set to be released next year. So how are you doing, Radka, and how is lovely Lancaster? Thank you both for having me. I'm really excited to be a part of your podcast. Lancaster is ever-changing as every higher education institution. I've been here, you wouldn't believe it, since 2007 in a variety of roles. It's a beautiful campus university, as you know, Rick. And we are now expecting our new students who will be arriving soon. So we are all ready to go. Fantastic. And you say so from 2007 and a number of different roles. Could you give us an idea briefly what your current role is and how you got there? I've been thinking about what is really my role when you become an education-focused professor. You have these callings. Your role becomes about ensuring the education continues, adding value. As a professor, I want to be in the classroom because our learners are changing all the time. The learning approach is changing. So in order for me to fulfill this role properly and inspire the new generation of educators, being in the classroom is essential. I started in Lancaster as something called International Programs Leader, and it was a new role, Mm -hmm. and it was really about developing international programs. It was a great privilege for me because I was able to travel around the world. I was able to meet people in their countries, in Asia, in South America, in many European countries, and that experience has really impacted me a lot because seeing learners and their families in their own context and imagining what it's going to be like for them to come to the UK has really informed the way that I carry on now until today. So from that sort of international development of the management school, I then transited back to my academic role in 2017, so I had a decade of learning about different higher education contexts and innovations that exist around the world. And then in 2017, I assumed a post of a director of master's in management program, and that continued until today. Fantastic. So teaching, but with the experience of all of those different perspectives that you've seen from around the world. Amazing. Radka, we've spoken a little bit about design-led approaches and how they have the potential to transform learning and teaching and the student experience. It would be good to understand what role does design and specifically service design play 
in higher education and how can it be used to improve higher education as a whole? When we talk about design, for me, it's always I'm thinking about some intentional transformation. So people who design change the current status intentionally into something better. And in higher education, we face so many challenges around funding, around now questioning the value of degrees, about accessibility, different regulations that affect us externally. And so any sort of challenge that we encounter in higher education really lends itself to to be one of these wicked problems. It's not straightforward. We don't really have simple answers. And I think that's where design can really add value, really bring people together from across different disciplines and to help us redefine what the problems are. So I think sometimes we jump into conclusions, mm-hmm. but I think design really empowers us to pause and think, what is really the problem we're trying to solve? What, what is the right challenge? So that's always my starting point where I really see the value of design because we are such a complex institution, organization, or even ecosystem. It's really interesting when you talk about that idea of intentionality. Design is often framed as a process or practice, but for me, it's about the idea that I'm intentionally solving this problem in a particular way to achieve an outcome. And I love when you talk about intentionality, because I think that sometimes gets lost when we discuss ideas of design. Absolutely. I think we we just run around sometimes, yeah, because we're faced with so many challenges and we are reactive. Yeah, we react uh, very easily uh, to what we need to do for the students, how we need to quickly solve challenges around teaching, around timetabling, around venues. But we rarely give ourselves the time to become more intentional. From my practice, I've realized through so many projects that we've embarked on using design principles that we do usually in this reactive mode tends to solve the wrong problem and invest a lot of emotion, a lot of time, a lot of resources into something that doesn't actually add value to our work in higher education. That is so true. And it's really important in higher education because there's normally not a lot of time, resources or money. So if you're spending that time solving the wrong problem, then you have very little time to solve the right problem. Absolutely. And that sense of we're, we're too busy to actually sit down and work out what the problem is. So we just need to solve the thing that we've just been told is the problem. That feels very common. You mentioned design principles. I was wondering if you could talk about how principles can bridge the gaps bef- between departments and universities, creating a more collaborative environment. For me, design focuses on the human actor and it's not only the student, it's also the staff and education is ultimately about humans. I came from that process oriented approach initially, that lean management school of thought. As a management educator, I built a lot on process improvement, which was a decade ago, it was our goal to improve education, looking at processes. I think what design emphasizes for us is that it is about that the human experience first and foremost, 
that is then underpinned by processes that we need to inquire into. I really champion this rehumanization of education, moving from the transactional process approach to that transformational and definitely human, including all the human actors, not only students, but ensuring the staff on all levels uh, are also included in these decisions. So it's also about democratizing the decision-making, isn't it? And it's sort of bringing people together. And I think what design does really well is bring people together in a joyous way and it brings different type of energy. This can be sometimes a bit maybe too unknown for us. Are we really supposed to have fun at work? And of course we are. Yeah, We are surrounded by young people with uh, new ways of thinking who are coming from all these different environments, different backgrounds. It needs to be joyful. Hmm. Why can't it be joyful? These problems are very serious. Taking the human-centered approach, coming together in a joyful way to test things, not talk about things for a long time in committees, but have a goal at things. I really found that design empowers. Uh, I think we've lost a little bit in higher education. We sit in many meetings for hours and discuss, and rarely we have a goal. I wish that we had a goal more often and test concept a bit more readily. Uh, for me, design grips me to do these things and try it out and really helps me be more focused on how I deliver the value. I love that idea of bringing more joy to these things because so often when you bring design techniques into decision-making or, or idea generation, or, I, I think people are sometimes a bit suspicious of them because they're fun. They feel like they're not work and they're not serious enough for the problem at hand. It feels like we've been indoctrinated to think that the only way you can deal with these things is by sitting in very dreary meetings where you discuss the same problems over and over again and never really seem to get beyond the problem. <laughs> so yeah, I love that. More joy. Absolutely. You know, and the concept of serious play is very well researched and yeah. very well practiced in uh, industry. We know that when people are more relaxed, when they are experiencing positive feelings of togetherness, that they definitely come up with better things, better solutions. I think that's a really important distinction between meetings as a process and design as a collaborative practice. I'd be interested in learning a little bit more about why you think that human design techniques are often undervalued, even though they have their origins in academic research? This is a really great question. And I've been thinking about higher education has such a fantastic design capability. We research through different types of data collection. We triangulate data. So from the capability point of view, as a sector, we have it in abundance. When it comes to operationalizing education within institutions, we somehow forget that we have this capability. So these capabilities remain locked in academic discipline. So why don't we take this golden nugget and why don't we implement them into our uh, practice in how we design the curriculum, how we design the student experience? And I wonder whether this is um, really driven by uh, a lot of this stuff, external validation that we are ranked, 
by different bodies based on statistical evidence. So the ranking collects always data or surveys are driven by questionnaires. Evaluations are driven also by questions. And we would never probably carry out research just through questionnaires. So I think it is a weakness that we somehow forgot that the triangulating data is crucial in order to understand the context of statistics. So statistical data presented without the context are not really valid as data that will then help us make any decisions. So I would very much like to encourage higher education institutions to get out of this paradigm of just serving the external monitoring of surveys and ranking systems and start looking at the contextual value of how we inquire into our own staff experience and the experience of students and the value that we deliver to each other. In terms of trying to improve things, how could university staff go about acquiring the mindset of designers? That There will be a lot of people who are already practicing this without maybe even calling it a design. Most universities would have a design school. I would go to wherever design is being taught and say, you are doing something quite fantastic here. How might we take this academic discipline into practice when we are discussing how can we redesign this program? Straight away start thinking, for whom? How is it going to add value? Is there a demand in the society? Are there employers who could help us? Start thinking about university or edu- higher education as an ecosystem. Think about it as a system of interconnected components that all influence one another. The external environment, the regulatory body. Then within the university, all these different departments, all these sub-faculties or schools or whatever we call them. How do we interact with each other? Who enables your work? Who impacts your work? And who do you impact through your work? And just have a think about this, this, these little three questions and go and talk to these people and you are already designing intentionally. Is that something that you recognize that each part of the university often will reinvent something that's happening elsewhere? You know, you've, you've got an expert in X and yet the people over in another faculty will either go externally or they'll work it out for themselves. Does that feel familiar to you? Yeah, it definitely feels familiar to me. And I can understand that, uh, for example, we have a very strong marketing department and you wonder why don't they input more into marketing ourselves, into helping us with the brand. Uh, So maybe there is a certain distinction between academic discipline and then practice in Mm. operation in higher education. This might be an interesting debate with those academic colleagues. We look for industry experience where we are an industry. <laughs> we are a fantastic sandpit to practice. How do we brand schools? We all have logos. We all have websites. We all have printed material. We all have social media. We behave like any other industry. Mm-hmm. So applying our expertise to ourselves somehow doesn't feel comfortable maybe or doesn't feel right. And that's interesting. I wonder why that is. Some people listening to this will, will be thinking, oh, you know, are they talking about commercializing, especially in the 
framing of service design, service is not always a commercial customer service. In the same way that industries or you know, organizations are not always sort of for profit. So why not frame ourselves as a sector, as an industry with specific features, which don't have to always be perceived just in this negative commercialization, marketization. That I always draw on Ezio Manzini, who I met in Milan Polytechnic, who says that service is about interaction between people. In higher education, we interact with people, we interact then with things, we interact with places. So it's this holistic interaction. Service is not giving you what you want. A service is enabling you to do something you've set yourself to achieve. Uh, again, just building on Lou Down's definition. Service helps people do something. Unfortunately, maybe the word service or the word industry or the word sector has some connotations that switch us off, that we say, no, this is not for us. Education is so much more. I agree. Education is something that belongs to the society. Education is a right that we all need to access. But education is delivered within certain structures. I think taking the positives out of these structures would really accelerate us instead of always saying, oh, no, we are not like that. This doesn't apply to us. Something that's cropped up couple of times in the conversations we've been having is around how you get a diverse range of student perspectives when you're doing any work. I wonder if you have any thoughts around techniques when you're developing courses to get that, those perspectives. I'm a big believer in really trying to imagine that students you are designing for and it's not so easy. So thinking about your audience and how you go about it. Again, you can gather a lot of insights from the data. So how many different nationalities come to your classroom, what kind of level of English they will have. So through that research, you can piece together an image uh, of, of a student or that we would refer to as personas. But I have been sort of experimenting uh, with co-creating personas with my students uh, in the classrooms when they get to know each other a little bit better. We have a session together when I ask them just to work in groups and build me a, a typical student of this program. They co-create these sort of uh, personas of students. And from this exercise, over the years, I've learned an awful lot. And I feel that's given voice also to those students who wouldn't normally come forward to tell me about uh, their backgrounds, about their lifestyle, about their challenges. One year we've had an unexpected increase of students who were commuting, who decided to stay and live with their families, which obviously impacted a lot on their experience of coming for a 9am start, or if lectures finished at 6pm, maybe they had one lecture in the morning, one in the evening. So what, what, what were they doing during the day when they had no accommodation? You know, how they maybe had to think about where do I hit my lunch? when the microwaves are only accessible to staff. It's a very informative and valuable exercise. And for the students, it's quite a lot of fun. They come up with all sorts of characteristics where they are actually voicing their own characteristics through this boundary object. So that's the fear of disclosing something that they may not want to disclose personally, you know, that goes away. 
So I've been experimenting with this and I think the maximum number I've probably experimented with was about 60 students when we did this together. So I appreciate that there are programs where there are hundreds and people ask me, how would you do this with 400 students? So of course there are questions when you have so many students, but I think you can still do this. I still really encourage people to do it by being smaller groups in seminar groups just learning from this exercise about what the fears of the students are, what their hopes are, what their aspirations are. I can't tell how much change we've implemented just thanks to this valuable exercise, how much we've learned about who is in front of me in this classroom. We base a lot of our decision on assumptions. We can't talk about the postgrads, the undergrad, and we fall into this trap of thinking postgrads are like this, British postgrads are like this, Asian postgrads are like that. They are not homogenous and people say, oh, it's a lot of work that you do. It's one day, one day that you spend with your cohort. Is it? Is it a lot of work? One morning or four hours of really trying to find out what your students are like, I don't think it's actually that much work. How do you collate that then when you've got all those personas or perspectives how do you distill it down to something that you can then use when you're creating the course a lot of work in design is about research you are researching who your audience is and then the synthesis is looking at themes arising so there'll be a lot of commonalities i always look out for reoccurring themes in these personas and there will maybe be only two or three themes that really you think, oh gosh, I need to pay more attention to this. So we have themes of pressure from family. And that was a reoccurring theme. Many students were worried that they are not really living up to the family expectation. We had a lot of theme around students and how confident they feel to engage with the career services. Or as I already mentioned, the commuting student. I mean, I never knew about this. You wouldn't know the, these kind of characteristics. I try and drill a bit deeper into what does this mean then? How is this information that I'm hearing impacting on that student experience on the program? Thank you. Why do you think it's important we acknowledge students as full individuals and that going to university is just one part of their experience? I don't exist as a professor of education. Uh, I'm a woman <laughs> who lives in a house with a husband and with a garden and overgrown bushes that I don't have time to attend to. Uh, and I live in a foreign country. I'm not originally from the UK, so I had to adapt to moving abroad. And the same applies to the students. They bring themselves to the classroom first and foremost as as them, as this young lady who is coming from Beijing, who's never been abroad, who is maybe slightly apprehensive, slightly concerned. I'm still, my pronunciation of some words is still not very good. I remember when I first came here, I couldn't pronounce certain words. People would misunderstand you. That, that makes you feel like I shouldn't really speak. So there are so many components that impact on the student learning that come from basically how we exist in this world. My Indian students couldn't cope with their dissertation period in summer 
because it's light so long. They, they said, we can't sleep. We've never experienced the light until 11 p.m. And we don't quite know what to do. And this is valid. It's a valid mm. concern. For me, it, I'm so pleased when people come and tell me this and they are not ashamed to tell me because you could say, well, just get on with it. You are in the UK. But if they are here just for one year, our postgraduate student, this is their first time and the last time experiencing so many things. And so being there with them just to discuss what, what can we do about this? And they will find their own solutions. We don't need to judge them for the culture shock caused by the new environment, by interacting with new people, by being away from the family. My, many of my students experience their first loss in the family. And I've had the same. The first loss when my grandma passed away when I was studying in the UK. You don't even know how to process loss, never mind being so far away. This is very important for us as educators to empathize with and have compassion because it does impact on the learning inevitably. It just comes back to the what you were saying before in terms of humanizing and the practical things that can have such an impact and the emotional things. So yeah, that'll make real sense. Mm. What design empowers you is to think about these journeys. We've all been on holidays. We go abroad. We go to an unknown place. So imagine that journey. And you get excited, you, are, you, know, you, you, you book everything and then the, comes the time when you have to pack, you don't know what to pack, you don't know how to prepare, you get somewhere, it's not familiar, it's different, the, the society operates in a different way. We've all experienced that. What really always helps me is to remember, these people in front of me have just gone through this, yeah, packing, saying goodbye, starting something exciting, meeting new people. This is not easy. It's a massive change in life. So just acknowledging that. So please, all educators, when you meet your new students, just pause for a minute and imagine this is what they have just done. Wow. They've not just arrived in your classroom that morning. There are many, many things that happened before. And there'll be many, many things that will happen after they leave your classroom. They may not even know where to buy their groceries. They may not even know what to buy in the shop. I, I couldn't find Czech bread when I first came as a student. I was suffering because I didn't have my comfort food. Think about what happens to you when you lose all the comfort. Of course, it is formative. It forms your resilience. It forms you as a person. Yeah. I'm not trying to say we have to make everything so easy. Uh, but just acknowledging that and saying, wow, you are so brave. Well done. Try, try this uh, product. See what it's like. See if you can find something that tastes as good as home. Uh, What's really interesting is we've touched on this idea in other podcasts. For example, the importance of food in terms of creating a sense of belonging. And I've always found it strange that universities talk about learning and teaching and then what's happening in the student experience as if they're separate things. But in reality, students don't experience their lives in that way. So design always reminds you, we are whole. You can't separate our life outside the university, outside the, the school, with the life that we have then as humans. My students one year when we were doing um, a bit of journey mapping together, 
the journey as well, like a roller coaster. Yes, it's challenging. I'm enjoying it, but I don't have any time to socialize with my friends. I feel really stressed. And so I said, what is it? And they said, it's just so busy. We are at the uni every day. And this was a very intensive program. And I said, so what would help? And they said, yeah. if we had like a little break, like halfway through the week. So I said, oh, what about stuff Wednesday afternoon off? Like on all our undergraduate programs, we actually allow uh, Wednesday afternoon for sport and societies. But on the postgraduate level, we just forget it. We just think postgrads, they just keep going. And again, this was a, such a small change. I said, oh, how about we try and just block that Wednesday afternoon in the timetable and we put no lectures in that. Would that help? And the students said, that would be amazing. So I just asked my teaching team, I said, oh, would it be okay if we didn't teach on Wednesday afternoons? And everybody said, yeah, no problem. We can work around it. A very small change with a massive impact informed by students who, of course, didn't tell me we want Wednesday afternoon off, who told me we just feel so rushed and we would love to have some time. And through that consultation and discussion with them, we thought, let's try Wednesday afternoon and block it out. And the impact it has had has been uh, amazing, amazing to see them being able to reconnect, join the student societies, re-engage and carry on with their uh, passion or sport or any other hobbies. We talked earlier around the inevitable surveys that universities are required to get from their students. I was wondering if you could talk about how design could help us get beyond surveys to understand the student experience in much greater detail. Mm. We already touched on the sort of contextual importance of uh, what these data say. The surveys give us the what, but they don't give us the why and the how. For me, engaging students through student staff committees, for example, has been very beneficial to engage or encourage the students. Design gives us these different methods so that students don't feel put on the spot where in the student staff committee, they have to show up and say something maybe negative about their experience. So design really celebrates the active participation which I really believe that contributes to students saying, yeah, it is okay that you share this. So different practices like student journey mapping, developing visuals, things rather than talking. Mm. So again, design encourages us to do stuff. And a lot of my colleagues experiment with different materials, build your experience with Lego, map it on a piece of paper with emoji stickers. So again, introduce a bit of joy and fun, but actually elicit some very deep information and yes, in the massification of education, this is probably quite challenging for people, but we all run a module or a program. This can all be done on a smaller level. I do, you know, for all my modules, I always ask students to keep mapping their experience during the course. It's an A3 piece of paper with some emoji stickers. They are not necessary. They are just a bit of fun. But isn't it fantastic at the end of the module to see this is how I experience this module. And I'm not necessarily aspiring to make the experience level. There will be dips, but if the dip is due to the challenge of the learning material and how we can support them, that's fine. But if they dip because our virtual learning environment crashed or 
was so confusing that they couldn't find the information they needed, then that's a problem, isn't it? It does take a different approach. Design does equip you to look at things through a different, more interactive way. I wonder sometimes whether this is too novel for us in education and whether it's too confusing for some colleagues because these sort of surveys and module feedback forms are, that's our paradigm, that's how we operate. So maybe that's why we are worried about doing it. We do focus groups, don't we, where we give very leading questions <laughs> and we just want to maybe re reconfirm our hypothesis. So that's also not great. So my question is, how might we implement more like a coaching debate uh, with our students where we come from a non-judgmental place, mm -hmm. trying to verify our assumptions, recognizing that we have assumptions, recognizing that we are different from our students. As our students are getting younger and we are getting older, so we do make assumptions. So just recognize it and try to approach this in a non-judgmental way through a bit more, I suppose, mature dialogue uh, with our students to try and figure out the how and why to complement the what. Thank you. Before we finish, do you think it just comes down to confidence? Because surveys feel safe and focus groups feel safe, but Lego series play feels less safe? I guess my question is, how do you think we can build the confidence of academics and other colleagues to use these methods and in doing so get better qualitative feedback from students? I think it is about teams, about teamwork, about collaboration. I couldn't do it myself when I first started. I was petrified. I had no clue what's going to happen when I asked these questions to the students. So I called on a friend who was more experienced in this, who practiced Jean Mutton, who has become my lifelong mentor. So I went out to look for somebody to accompany me, to give me that confidence so that I can build it. I have since done the same for other colleagues. So reach out to the networks we have and ask. People are so sharing and so generous. And it's okay that you can't do it by yourself. It is not easy. Trusting the process is a challenge. Not knowing what the students are going to say and knowing how to navigate the questions. I also did a coaching training, which really helped me so much. And I think many educators have access to coaching nowadays or even train yourself as a coach will massively accelerate your ability to design. It's funny you should mention that. I remember saying to a colleague recently, you just need to trust the process. It will come out where it needs to. And they were apprehensive. But when they got to the end of the sprint, they said to me, you're right. I just needed to trust that this would work. Yeah. And having somebody there with you, that person will also have a different view. So you can bounce of each mm. other. If there is three of you, even better. Design yeah, is. is a team sport. Yeah. <laughs> you're completely right. It's not something that you should do on your own. You need to work with other people, bounce ideas off each other. One more question from me. How do you think design principles can improve student outcomes? Well, what are student outcomes? This approach uh, that I have practiced with my students has certainly given students 
more sense of belonging that we have mentioned. Students always told me that they really appreciated being treated like a human. They really appreciated being uh, given the opportunity to give their opinions, work with each other, share their experiences with each other. They do these learning journeys together and they look around the classroom usually and say, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that I wasn't the only one suffering at this point. It's all of us. So it, it gives them that sort of confidence, agency, empowerment, sense of belonging. And if you feel all these things, your learning outcomes are always so much better. So I've given some examples already about mm. stuff we can achieve. And like we said, it's usually small changes that add a lot of value. I think it's just stuff, you know, engaging the students in that process as co-creators will impact a lot on how they see themselves in the future as active citizens. I think that's really important. Finally, a question we ask everyone. What would be the one thing your future self would tell your past self? I would like to say to my past self, it's not easy to be a pioneer in something. It feels a lot of time like you are so lonely and you are so alone. It will feel that you are an imposter, that you are not really supposed to be doing this because you know nothing about this. But please just keep going. It is of massive value. All this really brings a lot to the students' hearts, to the family. So it is so worth it. And yeah, trust the process. That brings us to the end of this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank Professor Radka Newton. We have learned so much from you. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Designing for Students. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We have some incredible guests lined up who will continue to inspire you. If you have any suggestions, topics you'd like us to cover, or guests you'd love to hear from, please reach out to us. We value your feedback and want to create content that you love. Thank you all for listening and remember you can change the world.